paved with gold Lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones Of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house Where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom But they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing Nothing but the thought of you I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face, -face, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have family or friends who can't watch the show on television here in Utah, Wyoming, or Idaho, they can go to www.hotm.tv and watch it live from anywhere in the world through streaming video. You can also watch any of our 200-plus shows, uh, the full show, on archives. You can also go to YouTube and type in Sean McCraney or Heart of the Matter and see over 500 clips uh, in, uh, from the show, highlights, and now even in Spanish. So check that out. I was a born-again Mormon. The manuscript is available through a free downloadable PDF form, hotm.tv, and you can have that in your hands in a minute. And if you're interested in a week, uh, weekly verse-by-verse -verse Bible study, a never-denominational Bible gathering. We do it every week at Utah State in Logan and at University of Utah here in Salt Lake City on Sunday afternoons. You can go to www.calvarycampus.com for more information. Uh, in the Standard Journal out of Idaho, it seems that Apostle, Apostle Russell uh, Ballard, a member of the Quorum of the LDS Twelve Apostles, was speaking candidly about experiences with the national press uh, in February of this year. And the Apostle Ballard talked about the challenges of defending and conveying LDS beliefs in a way that can be understood by people not affiliated with the church. He said, quote, you remember Mr. Huckabee, who was vying for Republic Republican candidacy for presidency, who among other things said that Mormons believe that Jesus and the devil were brothers? Ballard asked his students, remember that? It went all over the media. Well, they are, Ballard exclaimed to a laughing student body. Now, to them, that's a laughing matter. The LDS apostle gets up and says that Jesus and Satan are brothers. And he says, well, they are. And then he goes on to explain that the media, non-members in the media, don't understand the higher uh, uh, learning that we have, the inspired view we have of everything. So they're not going to really understand what that means. A Christian is appalled by that statement because we do understand what it means. We understand what the Bible, uh, who the Bible says Jesus is. An LDS Ballard apostle gets up and says, well, they are, and the entire student body laughs right along with them. Uh, that's one of the reasons we do the show that we do. Hey, let's uh, begin with a word of prayer.
Lord, we uh, need you in our lives. Um, I need you now. I need you always. We all do. And we pray for you to be with us. We pray for our audiences, wherever they may be. And we pray for our staff, our volunteers, our camera people, our technicians, sound, uh, graphics, our director, our phone operators, and for the time that they put forward to keep the ministry going. We pray that uh, I'll be able to articulate the things you want me to say regarding our topic tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Exodus 17, 14 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. Isaiah 38 reads, quote, Now go, write it before them in a table and note it in a book that it may be for the time to come forever and ever. Jeremiah wrote in chapter 30, verse 2, quote, Thus speaketh the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write thee all the words that I have spoken unto thee in a book. Habakkuk 2.2 reports, quote, And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables, that he may run and readeth it. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 14.37, quote, If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. John the Beloved wrote in 1 John 2.13, I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1.25, But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Peter called the writings of Paul scripture in 2 Peter 3.16. Jesus himself said to John in Revelation 1.11, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book. And send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. I have some questions. Why did God tell all these men all the way back 4,000 years or so ago to write? Why does Jesus say heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away? Why did the psalmist write that God, quote, magnifies his word above his own name? How can God expect people to keep his commandments today if the record of the commandments is not reliable? Is God someone who created everything from nothing, who measures the heavens by the span of his hand, who controls all things? Is this powerful God powerful enough to command men to write things and then not be able to bring it forth to us unscathed? Are these and these questions and the many questions I have about the Word of God pertinent to you? Think about them. There seems to be a couple of central themes enemies of Christianity go after when it comes to attacking the faith. The first is when they go after the deity, person, and story of Jesus. But in a close second, which is what we're going to talk about tonight, is the reliability and exclusivity of the Bible as God's holy word. We have long maintained that if someone can remove a person's trust 
in the Bible as reliable and or get them to believe that another book of scripture is valid or more valid than that, they can get a person to believe anything they want them to believe. This happens all the time. One remarkable fact about the Bible is that in and of itself, it has no owner here on earth. Have you ever thought about that? The book does not have someone who has the intellectual property rights to it. The book does not have one specific faith that can own it. The book is out there free. In and of itself, within its covers, it has everything necessary to lead a person to understand who Jesus is, to be saved, and to know how to walk the Christian walk. The same cannot be said of other proprietary religious books like Dianetics by L. Ron Hubbard, or A Course in Miracles, or the Koran, or the Book of Mormon. And yet so many people are willing to place their faith and trust in books like these, while at the same time label, labeling the Bible as fiction, faulty, or the manipulation of men, which naturally then opens them up to embracing some of the most insane things. This past month, I have literally, personally broken bread with two intelligent men uh, who did not know each other, both who completely and fully reject the Bible as reliable and trustworthy, and or as God's inspired word to men, but who both fully, completely, and without even knowing each other are convinced that alien life forces are not only here on earth with us right now, but assign the creation of heaven and earth and human beings to these aliens. Rejecting the trustworthiness of the Bible, and you can get men and women to believe almost anything. One man who understood this premise really well was named Joseph Smith Jr. Back in 1826 through 1829, Joseph had been telling people in his wooded community that he was visited by an angel who came to him on the, autumnal, on the eve of the autumnal equinox and revealed to him that there was some buried golden plates in a hill nearby his home. Over the course of around seven years, Joseph had been promising to bring forth a new book once he had translated it, and he assured many that it was going to be an entirely new and reliable book of ancient scripture. Once the book known as the Book of Mormon was published, a reader could open up and within the first 30 pages begin reading built-in attacks on the Bible itself. In 1 Nephi 13.38, it says of the Bible, quote, Wherefore thou seest that after the book, meaning the Bible, has gone forth through the hands of the great and abominable church, meaning the Catholic church, that there are many plain and precious things taken away from the book, which is the book of the Lamb of God. In other words, the Book of Mormon in that verse says the Bible cannot be trusted. Not too many pages later, in 2 Nephi, the Book of Mormon presents a built-in justification for its own existence relative to the Bible by stating, quote, Wherefore, because you have a Bible, you need not suppose that it contains all my words. Neither need ye suppose that it have not caused more to be written. So right in the founding book of Mormonism, we discover the two-pronged method of attacking God's word. First, it states that it can't be trusted. And second, it says that other writings can. 
This method is used by Scientologists, Christian scientists, Jehovah's Witnesses, Muslims, and every single religious group centered on the idea and thoughts of man instead of what men of God are told to say by virtue of his Holy Spirit. As time passed by, Joseph Smith continued to subtly demean the reliability of the Bible. In one of the LDS Articles of Faith, it says, We believe in the Book of Mormon to be the Word of God, period. We also believe the Bible to be the Word of God as far as it's translated correctly. And what is the way and method that the LDS determine if a Bible verse has been translated correctly or not? It's not by scholarship. It's not by sound hermeneutic. It's not by a, a really good exegetical view of the verse itself. It's not by studying the ancient languages. It's whether that specific verse supports what Mormonism teaches or not. I'm not kidding. Founding prophet Joseph Smith, quoted in the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, page 310, also says, quote, there are many things in the Bible which do not, as they now stand, accord with the revelations of the Holy Ghost to me. They don't, they don't make sense according to what he says is the Holy Ghost in him. Now, from this little collection of subtle statements Joseph Smith released against the Bible, we, uh, while he was alive, a giant dismissive snowball uh, against trusting God's holy word began to roll forth from Latter-day Saints after him. Late LDS apostle, apostle Orson Pratt said, quote, Who in his right mind could for one moment suppose the Bible in its present form be a perfect guide? Who knows that even one verse of the Bible has escaped pollution? Apostle, apostle, apostle Bruce R. McConkie wrote that, quote, Satan guided his servants in taking many plain and precious things and many covenants of the Lord from the Bible, listen to this, so that men would stumble and fall and lose their souls, end quote. In 1991, Brigham Young University um, professor Robert Matthews wrote, Quote, soon after the New Testament was written, there were persons among the Gentiles who systematically and wicked, with wicked motives and evil intent removed portions of the sacred word and took from the Bible very much important doctrinal information. So even though the LDS include the Bible in what they call the four standard works they carry around in a book called their quad, the bottom line reality is the Bible within Mormonism proper is one, considered unreliable, especially compared to the Book of Mormon. Two, considered corrupt to some degree or another. Three, is not taught but is truly only reviewed in a sense of trying to find verses that support Mormon theology. And finally, they consider it inferior to other LDS scripture, including modern-day revelation. I suggest to you here and now that the single most damaging doctrine, teaching, and attitude in Mormonism today is not their strange and esoteric teachings, not their history, not their temple rites and rituals. These things are all the end result of the single most damaging doctrine Joseph Smith introduced to a people, and that is the Bible cannot be trusted and that the Bible is not enough. I want to take... Uh, the next few minutes and sort of lay out the best I can in the short amount of time we have 
thoughts for you to consider, things for you to consider relative to the Bible as the authentic, singular, reliable wonder from God that it is. First, I think it's important to review how the Bible actually came to be. Now, there are excellent and far more exhaustive books out there, especially by Norman Geisler, that if you're really searching to understand how the Bible came to be, pick up a book by Norman Geisler about the historicity of the Bible and you'll be amazed. This is just a thumbnail sketch. But anyway, religious romantics uh, would like to believe that true and real messages from God ought to come in singular, miraculous events, um, kind of like a fax sent from heaven. You know, it's, this has got to be it. I think it's appealing to our flesh to think that holy writings come in these fantastic fashions. And I think natural men and women are more inclined to embrace books like the Book of Mormon, which came from golden plates buried in the hill by an ancient uh, group, uh, which supposedly, or, or like the Quran, which came from an angel, uh, Gabriel, to Muhammad himself, the singular man re re reading this, uh, than to trust in a book that took more than 1,500 years to compile at the hands of a lot of different authors. But this is part of the miracle. This is how God works, not man. God has historically shown that uh, his ways are not our ways. He works through us over time through real, historical, and actual places, actual ways, historical people. And the Bible was written over a great span of time through different human beings who had different lifestyles and purposes and languages and backgrounds and insights and countries of origin. Many of them did not know each other, so it would be impossible for them to be in on this uh, one-world um, a conspiracy to fool the world to believe in this book. Now, it consists of 66 different books written by 40-plus different human writers who lived on at least three different continents and spoke in at least three different languages, writing over the course of no less a period than 1,500 years. This is a powerful, magnificent, real-life human document. And then within this compiled books, the writings uh, within them, there are no contradictions. You heard me right. There are no contradictions of doctrine or teaching, with the exception in today's manuscript of a few dates and numbers. And even those are explained, but I'm not sure very well. The original manuscripts, there would have been no contradictions. But these separate writings actually interweave and support each other. It's the singularly most amazing book on earth. Now ask yourself again, why did Moses write? Was it so we could not uh, trust the things that he took time to write down later on down the road? Why did God have prophets record their revelations? So believers could read it and wonder whether it could be trusted or from him or not. So we could question every word. So we could doubt it. So we could think that God is incapable of bringing forth his word in a form that would benefit a mankind. Um, Jesus in Matthew chapter four, he had just... Uh, finished fasting 40 days and 40 nights, and he was in the wilderness and he was hungry. Fittingly, Satan came to, to tempt him with three specific temptations. And each of these uh, temptations uh, that Satan offered Jesus, he was rejected. And each of these rejections was prefaced by Jesus saying, it is written. And to what was Jesus referring when he said, it is written? He was referring to the Old Testament. And how could Jesus trust 
such ancient writings which were just as old to him in his day as the New Testament writings are to us in many ways in our day. And why, think of this, why didn't Satan ever question Jesus about the reliability of what he was saying it is written? I mean, why didn't Satan say it is written? Ha, huh, what are you talking about? That ancient manuscript couldn't be translated correctly. What are you quoting it is written for, Jesus? I mean, that, that book is false. Not even Satan would make that accusation. Mormons will, but Satan wouldn't. Now, second, without going into a great detail because of time, Old Testament scribes and scholars were exacting and tedious and relentless in transcribing the word of God. If a mistake was made, the whole parchment or scroll was tossed away immediately. Older manuscripts, and this is really important, older manuscripts were burned as newer ones were completed and tested. Not because of changes, but because of wear and tear and to make sure that the most correct parchments were in use. To them, the newer copies were the more reliable copies, not the reverse. This is one reason manuscript evidence is so sparse for the ancient texts. Then around 285 BC, 70 Jewish scholars came together 285 years before the birth of Christ to Alexandria and under the direction of the Ptolemies, translated the Old Testament, which the Jews called the Tanakh, from Hebrew into the Koine Greek. All right. And the resulting translation was called the Septuagint and referring to the 70 scholars who worked on it. The Septuagint provides us with a concrete bridge between the Hebrew language and the Greek and the New Testament times. By, by, by the time we came to the New Testament times, the Septuagint was the, was the primary uh, Old Testament manuscript that was used. The existence of the Septuagint essentially solidified the, existent of the existence of the Old Testament books 285 years uh, before Jesus was even born. So that's the Old Testament. The terms Old Testament and New Testament were first originated by the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31, 31. The word testament means covenant and Jesus being the long-awaited Messiah brought in the new covenant, the New Testament uh, to God's people. The Old Covenant contains, amidst its history and poetry, many prophecies that point to Jesus. The New Covenant, amidst its parable and historical events, provides the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. One of the major factors in proving the Bible as the Word of God and reliable and unfailing is its prophetic nature. Hundreds of prophecies have come true, and the few that remain will come true in their appropriated time. No prophecy that was supposed to have come to pass has failed to come to pass. Now, the Old Testament prophecies regarding the coming of the Messiah are numerous, and I'm just going to quickly read through here the Old Testament prophecies that told the Jews what the Messiah was going to be like. You ready? said that he would be of the seed of the woman in Genesis, the line of Abraham, of Jacob, of Judah, of Jesse and Isaiah, that he would be the line of David in 2 Samuel, that he would be of a virgin birth in Isaiah. His birthplace would be Bethlehem in Micah. He, he would have a forerunner named John in, um, in uh, uh, Isaiah and uh, Malachi, that 
As a child, he would be taken to Egypt and Hosea, that the children would be killed to try to get rid of him in Jeremiah, that he would be a king, a prophet, a priest, a judge. He would be called Lord. He would be called Emmanuel in Psalms and Isaiah. He would be anointed by the Holy Spirit. He would have a zeal for God. His ministry would be in Galilee. He would, he would have a ministry of miracles. He would be ridiculed. He would be a stumbling stone to the Jews. He would be rejected by his own people, a light to the Gentiles. He would teach in paradise. He would cleanse the temple, according to Malachi. He would be sold for 30 uh, shekels in Zechariah. He would be forsaken by his disciples. He would be silent before his accusers. His hands and feet would be pierced, according to Psalm. His heart would be broken. He would be crucified with thieves. No bones of his would be broken. He, his soldiers would gamble with his raiment. He would suffer thirst on the cross. Vinegar would be offered, according to Psalm. Christ's prayer was even recited in Psalm. He would be... Uh, disfigured. He would be scourged and die. He would be forsaken and he would uh, cry about his forsakenness out loud. He would commit himself to God. He would be buried in a rich man's tomb according to Isaiah. He would be resurrected according to Psalm. He would ascend according to Psalm and he would then end on the right hand of God. All of those plus more foretold of the coming Messiah, Jesus and his life fulfilled them all by the testimony of witnesses, separate witnesses who wrote about it. Now, the Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are actually a continuation of the Old Testament. They speak of Jesus coming to the earth, his ministry among God's people, and their rejection of him. Um, the actual New Testament does not begin until chapter 2 of the book of Acts. That's when the Holy Spirit descends at the day of Pentecost and the Christian New Testament begins. Before that, it was Jesus fulfilling Old Testament prophecy in his life. Then the day after Pentecost, these first-hand witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ and those closely associated with him begin to write letters and revelations and correspondences uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit to help govern and guide the new church. Before these writings were ever collected and included in what we call the New Testament, they were considered scripture. They were considered inspired. These men were called to write because they were first-hand witnesses and what they wrote was considered scripture just like the writings of the Old Testament. Even in 2 Peter 3.15, Peter equates Paul's letters to scripture. He calls them scripture. Listen, he says, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, has written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Once the last apostle, John the Beloved, passed, the first-hand witnesses of Jesus have been written and recorded. Both the fulfillment of Jesus and the directives of his church were gone, and the old, the old covenant and the new covenant were complete and fulfilled. Then the Holy Spirit continued to inspire and grow the church at, in miraculous and wonderful ways. Nothing more in terms of writing needed to come as the word of God from Genesis to Revelation wholly completes it all with the Old Testament foretelling his coming, the gospels testifying that he came, the epistles directing the new church, and revelation completing end time prophecy. What else do we need? 
you know? It's not that God has stopped speaking to men and women today. Of course he speaks to us today um, in terms of his Holy Spirit. But those utterances that we receive have got to be congruent with all that was given scripturally before. Um, Canonical writings are another matter. To say because someone speaks by the virtue of the Holy Spirit today uh, is, is, does not mean that those utterances need to be made canon. The word canon means a ruler for the church. It means a rule of faith. It means how to measure what is going on. And when the canon or the rule of truth is completed by everything in Scripture, what more is needed? We don't need to have any more. So the New Testament texts were written by virtue of the Holy Spirit, working on the Lord's first 10 witnesses. And there are several factors that the early Christians took into account when they compiled the early scripture in the New Testament. Here are the considerations really quickly. The book had to have a history of being included in Christian worship. The book had to have a connection to an apostle or a first-hand witness of Christ associated with an apostle. The book had to evidence power in the life of believers. The book had to maintain what they call the consistency of doctrine. Let me give you an example of this. In the Gnostic Gospel of Thomas, which is very popular among uh, pseudo-truth seekers, in my opinion, the, the Gnostic Gospel of Thomas, it says this, quoting Jesus, quote, Lucky is the lion that the human will eat, so that the lion will become human. And foul is human that the lion will eat, and the lion still will become human. Now, that is just not part of a consistency of doctrine. And when they would come across books that would include some of this strange stuff, the compilers of the New Testament would say, look it, it doesn't fit any of our criteria, plus it's absolutely inane in some of these things that it's saying, so we're not going to include it. One of the big criticisms of the Bible is, do you know how many books weren't included in the New Testament and were excluded? Yeah, they didn't belong there, okay? You can get over that. That doesn't sound like consistent doctrine. The book also had to ratify Christian values and scriptural uh, purposes, and the books had to be in harmony, unity with each other, regardless of how poetic and beautiful they are. Once again, quoting verse 14 from the Gnostic Gospel of Thomas, it says, listen to this thinking. If you fast, you bring sin upon yourselves. And if you pray, you will be condemned. And if you give to charity, you will harm your spirits. Now, you know, you don't, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to say, that book's not going to make it in. And yet I meet people who say, how come the Gospel of Thomas isn't in the Bible? I mean, it's, it's just unbelievable the faithlessness in what people have. All right. Uh, obviously, uh, not in harmony. Tertullian, who was a very early church father, states that by 150 AD, the church in Rome had compiled a list of New Testament books that matches what we call the Bible today. 150 AD, Tertullian, earliest, one of the earliest church historians says, we had our Bible in place. It wasn't officially put together for another hundred years, but he says, we've got all the books. And when he lists the books that we had, we have them in our Bible now. The Muratonian canon fragment dating at 170 AD lists the same New Testament books that we have in our Protestant Bibles today. And if we take the writings of these early church fathers, Irenaeus, Justin Martyr, Polycarp, Ignatius, and Clement, all but 11 verses in these early church fathers' writings include the entirety of the New Testament. 
So you can read those early church fathers and you can read the whole New Testament excepting 11 verses. In other words, the entire New Testament text with the exception of those 11 verses was entirely quoted by the early church fathers. This is not constructed or prefabricated stuff like the critics would like you to believe. Um, It was of God. So um, getting back to the point, what was the result of Joseph Smith and those who followed him by saying the Bible could not completely be trusted? Every time a Latter-day Saint reads the Bible now, they discount it in their heart, if not in their mind. Every time they read a passage that causes them to think outside of what they've been taught, they put it in the not correctly translated bin. Every time the word causes them to wonder about their own faith, they think of corrupted texts and evil copyists and uninspired philosophies of men. And what is the result? They accept a bastardized view of Jesus, of the salvation he offers, and the Christian walk he prescribes. It's high time for Latter-day Saints to take their quad, rip out three of the four books, throw those three in the trash, and walk around with the Bible, the King James Version, not edited by their apostles today, so as it to fit LDS doctrine. Jesus said in Mark 13, 31, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. That not pass away in the Greek, it, it's a double negative and it means it will never, ever, not ever, in no way ever, impossible for it to ever, ever, cannot ever pass away. In this, every Christian believes. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. First time callers, please. LDS callers, if possible, turn your television sets down while the operators clear your calls. Uh, we are going to go to a spot and we'll come back and talk to Tyson and Draper, Diana and Sandy, Sam, who's LDS. watching Heart of the Matter, a live weekly television program right here from the Mecca of Mormonism. We've been on the air for almost four years now. Now, we're a tax-exempt corporation, and we survive solely on your financial support. There are two ways that you can uh, help support this ministry financially, through the mail or through the internet. Now, some people give as they can. And everything is a great blessing to us. We are so grateful for the support people have given over the years. We also invite anyone inclined to join with us in this fruitful ministry by becoming a partner. And this simply means you're in a position to contribute a certain amount annually, which greatly helps us with our planning. Be our friend, become our partner, but we do need your support if you're so inclined of the Lord and you have already given to the church. For more information, call 888-868-HOTM or 888-868-4686. Write to us at 314 South Redwood Road, Salt Lake City, 84104 or get on the internet www.hotm.tv for more information. God bless y'all. Hey, we're back and we had a studio audience member say he wanted to wanted me to say something. I said, Dave, why don't you come out and say it? So go ahead. 
Well, I just want to tell you that the Bible says that demons themselves tremble at the scripture given at their damnation. So they do not try to change the word of God. They actually tremble at the word of God. Awesome. Thank you, Dave. Maybe we'll start, maybe we'll start doing that. Guest preacher, you know, because that was good. I don't think of everything, so that's excellent. Hey, listen, uh, Gary is on the way out of the LDS Church. He asked, should he bear his testimony of being born again in the LDS Church? And Gary, I would say absolutely. Yes, uh, you're on your way out. That means you're not out yet. And so uh, get up and, and share with people what Jesus means, what it means to be born again, and you never know who uh, you're going to reach through doing that. We're going to go to Sam first. He's LDS, and he's a first-time caller. Sam, you're on Heart of the Matter. Sam? Oh, we need, I can't hear Sam. Sam, you got to turn your uh, TV down. Sam, you have to turn your TV down. Hello? I really want to talk to Sam. Yes. Sam. Yes. Turn your TV down. You're on the air. Okay. We got Jennifer in Chicago. Yes. It's Tom. All right, Sam, you're on the air. Okay. I can still hear it. Sam, you really, we're waiting on you. I got to give you just a few more. You got to turn the TV down, Sam, or you're not going to understand. Yes. Sam? Yes. Go ahead with your question. Okay, my question is what does this. Um, Sam's called before. Okay, Sam, I got to let you go. All right, we're going to Jennifer in Chicago, first time caller. Jennifer, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Uh, my question is about Mormon doctrine and lying for the Lord. Oh. I have, I've been interested in LDS Church for a while, and as you know, there's a lot of interesting stuff that's out there on the Internet. So I start looking up some of this stuff, and some of it is quite disturbing. Yeah. Things about, like, uh, Brigham Young saying, you know, black and white people like my parents uh, who get married should be put to death. Things about there's a war in heaven and, you know, people were fence in the war in heaven with a curse with dark skin, all this kind of thing. Yeah. So I asked the missionaries about it. They didn't know what I was talking about. Yeah. I asked a Mormon friend at work. And he didn't know what I was talking about either and had never heard of this stuff and suggested I go see the local bishop, which I did one Sunday afternoon. And this man was old enough to have served his mission back in 1978 when all that related stuff was going on. And uh, he'd never heard of half of this. And I asked him, well, did anybody ever teach you about, you know, this, this you know, war in heaven and you know, one-third being for Jesus, one-third being for Lucifer, the other third didn't know what to do, and they were sent to earth with dark skin, and no, never heard this. And they said, are you sure you never heard this from your parents or anything and whatnot? And as it so happened, uh, uh, the new incoming bishop and the uh, stake president was there. <laughs> and I'm going like, well, you know, I can't get much higher than this. Yeah. So I asked them, and they told oh, these are stories that people make up. Uh, the LDS Church has never taught this kind of stuff, and so on. But from what I read, it sounds like this has been around for like quite a while. So 
Are Jennifer? Let me give you the straight story. Uh, everything that you mentioned, kind of just kind of as a laundry list, all of that is taught. All of that can be proven. Go to utlm.org and you can yep. find the quotes. And what the LDS Church are really big at doing, especially these days, is just playing dumb. And, and, and their thought is this. This is that lying for the Lord thing. Their thought is this. You don't have the ears or the mind to understand the pearls. So they're not going to cast their pearls before you. They're just going to give you the essentials of the gospel. And then once you buy into those essentials, then you will be led along and the Holy Spirit will, will enlighten your mind more and more. And at some point in time, you'll come to understand those things better and then you'll be more ready to embrace it. And that is their belief. That's why they're willing to... Uh, I heard this great word today, obfuscate the whole issue and, and darken it and just wait until you, know, you are ready to really hear the truth. So really, they're lying. They bottom line are lying. And, they, and you'll find that through and through. And they'll say, oh, I don't know about that. And it's just like that apostle said that I quoted on the paper uh, today. Uh, when Huckabee said that Jesus and Satan are liars, he's teaching these people how to respond so that, so that uh, the world won't really get what they believe, but will kind of more accept them only to later find out what they truly believe. So you're, you might as well just run from the thing entirely, Jennifer. <laughs> so you're saying this man I sat across the table from with a straight face. Yeah. Okay. Without Wasn't a doubt. To... Yeah, he lied to you point blank. Okay. Yeah. Now, yeah. Uh, just so that we can keep the emails to a minimum, maybe he uh, was deaf and blind up until the time he became a bishop, and, and he <laughs> didn't have the opportunity to hear this. But look, at, I was the biggest, uh, uh, what do they call that? We need attention deficit freak in church, and I picked all that stuff up. So I know people who are more studious picked it all up, too. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you very much for your information. Okay. Bye-bye. You. Bye. We're going to Dustin in Clinton, Utah. He's LDS. Dustin, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. How um, are you? Doing really good. How are you doing? Doing well. Good. Good here. Hey, I just wanted to give you a call and uh, let you know that I think you're, you're misrepresenting the LDS view of what the Bible is. Really? And how we see it. Yeah. yeah. You, you're, you, you're portraying it in a way that we actually disrespect the Bible, and that's not true at all. We have a great respect and reverence for the Bible. Yeah. We believe that the Bible teaches many truths about the kingdom of God, about many truths of doctrine. Yeah. Um, and what, what the actuality is, though, Sean, is it's the historicity of the Bible. Yeah. It's how the Bible came, it's how the Bible came forth. I saw your, your explanation of how you said the Bible came forth, which was partially true, but well, uh, not all the way true. Oh, what did I miss? <laughs> well, what you missed is that it wasn't until about 300 years after Christ was on the earth that the Bible was actually compiled. It was I compiled said that. By... I said that. Okay. 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 But it was compiled by men, right? Well, it wasn't compiled by dwarfs or angels or, or I mean, I mean yeah. dwarfs, gnomes. Okay. Yes, Are men. Are men fallible is a question. Are men fallible? Yes, as fallible as okay. the writer of the Book of Perfect. Mormon. Okay. That was also written by men. Yes. Translated by men, but it was translated by the power of God, but it was written by men. But the Bible wasn't? So, say that again? But the Bible wasn't? 
The Bible was inspired of God, yes, but it was compiled and translated many times by fallible men. What about the Book of Mormon? The Book of Mormon was translated by the power of God, but it was also translated by men as well. So that you, sometimes you'll get um, so? you know, a, a mistake in grammar. Oh, oh it was only grammar? Like How about changes in doctrine in the Book of Mormon? There's, there's many explanations about the doctrine of the Book many of Mormon. Many explanations. Point, though, Don't, be Don't be a lawyer with me. Don't be a lawyer. Let's LBS talk facts here. View of what the Bible is. Look at You know what? I portrayed perfectly how the LDS, you say you don't demean them, you hold it as sacred, you, tell, you sacred, tell me right? how you can hold it as it sacred. It was compiled and translated by men which are fallible and mistakes were made. Uh, so, uh, I, I, yeah, exactly. Show me a verse where a mistake was made first. Let's just start with something real. Okay, we can do that. Okay. Um, okay. Don't pretend uh, you're going to do it because you're not. Look at 1 Corinthians 14:34. You tell me if it's a mistake or not. Okay, let's just do this. I don't know what it's going to say, but let's just do it. Okay. 1 Corinthians 14:34. Yeah. All right. It says, "Let your woman keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be un but." It not, this isn't in the original, but to be under obedience, as also saith the law. Okay. Is, that, is that translated correctly? Absolutely. Okay. So is that infallible? So, Do, are, women, are women allowed to speak in church? Okay. What's the context of this, though? Now, let's start talking about context, all right? You're pulling out a verse here, and you think just because it says something that you don't like the sound of it, it's not right? That sounds so Mormon-esque to me. What's the okay, context let's, let's of this? Go, let's go to no, 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 no. Let's stay on this one. Let's stay okay, on this sure. one. What's sure. the context of 1 Corinthians? Who is Paul talking to? Is Why is he giving this advice? Do you know? He is, he's, he, he is talking to the Corinthians about the proper laws of what the church should be. Right, and right? what was Writing the problem in Corinth at the time? There was a lot of apostasy in Corinth at the What time. type of apostasy? Say that again? What type what of type? apostasy? Doctrinal apostasy? No, there was, there was apostasy and problems because of men and women's relationships. Corinth was a, was, a, was a bastion of sexual immorality. And so he is trying to set the church in order. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with this. And in fact, I had a conversation with someone today about uh, women uh, speaking in the church. Speaking is not what it means. So you're taking that English uh, language literally. It just means they shouldn't be up teaching men about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Adam was first, Eve was second. That is the reasoning Paul gives. Okay. All right, okay, so this I, one I verse that, that you decided to pull out out of all of 400,000 no, no, no. verses let's in your, in your logical no mind let's fails. Let's go to one more. No, let's not go to one more. Let's stick on something else. Let's Sean, stick on... give this to me, my no, friend. No, 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 let, no, no, no. I gave you one. I gave you one. Let's just, just ask you this. How is your saying, as far as it's translated correctly, how is that not demeaning the Bible? How do you Sean, justify you, the you quotes from your apostles? You're a smart man. You're, you're much smarter than I am. No, I'm not but smarter you know than you are. Well, but just look you at, know full and well that the Bible, the Bible was inspired The Bible by God. is infallible in its ability it's, to lead men to what God wants them to know. It is infallible in its ability to teach men today and women what God wants them to know. We did okay, not need not a Doctrine and Covenants. We did not need a Pearl of Great Price. We did not need a Book of Mormon. We do not need Modern Day Revelation, which is all a bunch of men, bunch of men 
We don't need that stuff. We have witnesses and we have prophets who wrote this word. You, sir, are absolutely incorrect. And you're not portraying how the Bible is viewed by Mormons. What about these quotes from your apostles? Your apostles that say, how can you say if even one word was translated right? This is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ quoted in your history that asks, how can we even know if one word wasn't polluted? Now, how do you justify that? Here's the justification. It's because of the historicity of the Bible and how it was compiled by fallible men. And that There's statement from you is the heart of what Mormons think of the Bible. that's written in the Bible is absolutely correct. If you read in, in Exodus 33:20, you'll understand why. Well, I'll pull that out and look. Let's pull it out and look. I'm not doing it now. I wanted you to, okay. he- I wanted you to say from your Mormon heart why the Bible can't be trusted. And what you just said, which is now on tape and everybody can hear forever, it's exactly the problem with Mormonism and its relationship to the Word of God. You go to God and you say, Lord, I trusted Joseph Smith's translation of this papyrus that was a funeral text for Egyptians and translated in this thing called the Book of Abraham. You go to God and tell him you believe a Book of Mormon translated from golden plates buried in a hill and, and, and translated by a rock and a hat. You go to God and say these revelations and the doctrine and covenants were of him and Joseph telling people to give him his land and his money and his, and his property rights. And I'll go to God and say, I trusted your Bible. We'll see who comes out in the end better. Hey, okay, that, that was that was a, a great tie right there. It was. I love um, those. Listen, and we're going to end it now. Listen. Bye. All right. It's fun when you're in the control of the thing because you get to cut it off when you want. Um, I've earned this now. I've earned that right. We're going to Tyson and Draper, first-time caller. Tyson, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. You're welcome. I just wanted to say, uh, first of all, uh, what you're doing is, uh, takes a lot of courage and humility to do the Lord's work, so I just wanted to say thanks. Oh, praise God. And I uh, just wanted to speak to, the, to your monologue earlier in the show. The point you were making and the message I have heard is a very simple yet very profound one. And for me, it's that God is either everything or he is nothing. Mm. And with the Bible being the Word of God or inspired by God, it must be and it is infallible. So... Being, when I was active in the LDS religion, I found that the doctrine was in direct conflict a lot of times with the Word of God and therefore God Himself. So it caused me to question my faith altogether. Yeah. And uh, by God's grace, I realized that God and His Word is everything. So yeah. really anything or any person or any doctrine that would say otherwise, such as the Book of Mormon, had to be dismissed. So. I just think the message you had tonight was a really powerful one, and I just want to thank you. And you know, Tyson, you, Tyson, you bring up a really good point, you know. I mean, what is so difficult to believe that God cannot bring us his word in, in, in an infallible uh, way that we can trust it? Why is that so difficult for people to accept? Exactly. I mean, it, and like I said in the beginning, it's either everything or it's nothing. So if there's any one part of it, that is wrong, then you have to dismiss the whole thing. Amen. You can't believe in any of it. So, That's good like good said, call, Tyson. I appreciate it. No problem. You have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to Diana and Sandy. Diana, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Just fine. Listen, um, I really, really love this show. I mean, the in, 
the Bible is the inspired Word of God, and the LDS people, the Mormons, do not see it as that. I think they see it as a compilation of opinions. Yeah. And um, it just breaks my heart. And mostly, you have said everything that I wanted to say while I was waiting for you to pick up the phone. But thank you for standing up for the inspired Word of God and for it to be accepted as anything less it just breaks my heart. Me too. Thanks, Diane. I really appreciate it. Okay, bye-bye. God bless. Bye-bye. Got a letter from a Christian uh, man uh, who goes by the name of Thomas in Nevada. He says, last evening while you were speaking on baptism for the dead and LDS church doctrine, I didn't hear very much of your argument as I was watching your ears, nose, cheeks turn red and sweat pouring off your forehead. Mr. McCraney, you are overweight and a prime candidate for a massive heart attack if you keep going as you are. Uh, you are a very ang mad person, and because of your anger, you're striking out at a church. Man, get over it. Nothing is worth ruining your health. All churches are a little goofy. All churches are just schools of various themes of man's philosophy. All churches are going to lead you astray, yes, even yours. God purposely made it this way. God wants us to go beyond man's thinking, man's works, and get our counsel, our knowledge directly from him. God wants us to use a little common sense and come to the conclusion that all churches are a little go goofy, some a little bit more. My wife and I started a church, and, and it's just a, like a school of we believe, and he goes on and on and on and on and on and on, and you know, uh, it's terrifying when you get, this is a letter from a, a, a man who calls himself the Christian, he makes pamphlets, and he, he sends them to me, and it's terrifying about what happens when you get uh, kind of involved in this uh, very ecumenical Everything's all right. Uh, universalism, um, ecumenical is probably a better word, of everything is okay. And it's just not. If it is, then Jesus came and died in vain. He really did. And that be, because then people don't need Jesus and they don't need to believe in, in God and they don't need to trust the Bible and they can do what they want. And even within the church more and more, we, we get uh, things like this. So, you know, stay in the word. If you want to know truth, stay in the word. Again, don't trust me. Go to the word of God. Listen to the word preached by someone who preaches uh, the Bible and hear what they have to say. We're going to David in Taylorsville. Oh, this is perfect timing. David, it says, believes in all religions. David, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello? Hey, David, you're on the air. Oh, okay, thank you. You're welcome. Hey, Sean? Yeah. Hey, this is Dave Hale calling from uh, uh, Taylorsville, and I have a, a really sincere question uh, for you. Okay. And that is, um, with all the different religions in the world, why would the Christians only have an exclusive uh, route to the highest kingdom of glory. Why would all? Why would God uh, not allow all of His other children uh, in the world be able to be with Him in the life hereafter? Well, let me ask you a question, David. Sure. Why would God send His only Son to be tortured and beaten and, and stuck to a cross and die? Well, I mean, we can get into the martyrdom stuff and everything like that, martyrdom. but. Uh, you know, I just believe it, the way you're born, the way you're raised, the social background you have, the ethnicity, all that kind of stuff, basically, really is what you formulate your religious ideas around. That may be you true. Were born, you were born Christian, right? No, I was born Mormon. Okay, you were born.
were born Mormon, which is a facet of Christianity. No, it's not. Okay, let's say. Okay, let's say. See, it's right not. here, we're just gonna. It's just okay. Gonna, see, what? David. Here, let, I understand your point, and I can okay. tell that you. I mean, why, why would he exclude all of his other children from going to the highest degree of glory? Okay. Why? Highest degree of glory. That's an interesting phrase you used. I'm uh, serious. I'm have, serious. Okay, da I understand, David. He he did not exclude anybody. Jesus came and he died for the entire world. And let me give you a really quick example, okay? Just a really quick story that I use and for whatever it's worth. A man falls in quicksand and he's out in the out in the desert or jungle wherever quicksand is and he's going down. And and Buddha comes by and Buddha says, "Listen, your suffering is good for you." Uh because through suffering, you're going to grow as, a, as an individual. Carry on. And Muhammad walks by and says, if you are faithful and believe in Allah, when you go down and die, you're going to have 70 virgins waiting for you. And every religious leader that has ever existed from Gandhi and all, all pass by and they give their insight, which are beautiful words of wisdom and they sound so profound. But Jesus, he comes up and he says, oh. And so he takes off his robe and he dives in the quicksand and he goes underneath the man and he lifts and he pushes that man up onto the surface and saves his life and he gives his own life to do it. There is the difference between all the other, you say you understand the martyrdom thing, that wasn't martyrdom. That was God giving his life so that the world could be reconciled to a holy God. Because right now, David, I want to tell you something. Right now where you're sitting, I can assure you, because of our conversation, you are not reconciled to God. You have sins that you have committed that have not been taken care of by any way, shape, or form to the holy God. And Jesus died for those sins. And all you need to do, the simple thing is believe on him. But see, David, you don't want to do that. You no, want no, to no, believe no. everybody has an open path. That broad is the no, gate. No, no, and, no, oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, tell me what I it is. I can turn it all around on you. I'm not turning say. anything around, David. Tell no, me where I, I'm, I'm wrong. Saying, I'm just saying the line you're taking, I could turn it all around and t uh, on you and say, why doesn't Buddhists push Christ up through the quicksand? Because it doesn't fit their, It doesn't uh, fit the history of Gaut uh, Gautama under the Buddha tree, under the Bodhi tree. It doesn't fit Not with any of the things that Buddhism taught. Uh, what about what about uh, what about uh, Muhammad when he ascended three seven uh, seven degrees of glory and went to the very top? How do you know that he did he was give his did he did he shed did he give his life for the sins of the world? It's never said. Yeah. No. Is that necessarily uh, all? Does that necessarily have to happen? happen well, I'll tell you what, David. David, you go, you die with your sins, and you find out if it's necessary. And I'll die believing mine are covered by the shed blood of God, and I'll and I'll believe that it is necessary, oh, and we'll okay, see what okay. happens. Okay. Let me. I've got two more things, and I want to get out. You of can't here. do it because we only have 31 seconds left, David. But please call back because I like your questioning. Okay, I, I'm just saying I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lock, lock horns because we can no, do this all. Day. I know, but call back because now but we got 20 something? seconds. You okay, call back next week because now we have 15. You're a, you're a man scorned. Call back you're again. Now we have 12. I love you. All right, listen, come back next week. Join us here on Heart of the Matter, where we're, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face to face. And understand, I love you. That's why we do it. Just go with me and keep listening. See you then. Oh
gonna break I'm gonna break my I'm gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my Gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my Gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage.